Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Um, we haven't got Mark Ellen again this week. Somebody's actually put in an appeal that he, he be allowed, I don't know what you think about this, Matt Hall, that he be allowed to do one on his own. I, 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 did, uh, I did see the appeal. Wasn't it, was this the appeal that asked for um, Mark to be taken to a dinner party where the other guests were all cut out of famous rock stars? <laughs> Cardboard cutouts. And then Mark would just... Uh, amazed and entertained the table with various <laughs> rock stories. It's amazing when we record these things without him, we we have to do about twice as much uh, because you don't have the laughter break. It's filling all the gaps, didn't it? There's a lot of gaps. There is there. huge gaps. A lot of dead air just suddenly boils up with no hysterical Absolutely. laughter. Absolutely. So help him fill that gap, uh, Rob Fitzpatrick. Welcome, Hello. Rob. Hello. Uh, back from his holidays, and uh, and from half man, half biscuit land. <laughs> He, as he described to me a few minutes ago, Paul Denoy. Hello. Paul, now tell us about Half Man, Half Biscuit Land. You're talking about what? The Wirral. Yes, it's that, uh, it's that fabled place that Liverpudlians call Over the Water. <laughs> you know, like it was Shangri-La or something. <laughs> some, <laughs> some mythical tea in a nogue lost in Arthurian legend. But in fact, it's just the dull bit of suburbia that's behind Birkenhead. But this is where Half Man, Half Biscuit come from. And to spend a bit of time in the Wirral is to uh, is to enter within the soul of um, of Half Man, Half Biscuit's music. You know, um, if you read the uh, the letters page of the local free sheets, you understand that you're living in a world of um, of people who write letters like, uh, "Dear Sir, speaking as a mad person, <laughs> I want to complain about the wheelie bins. I hear disturbing voices coming from them, and so on and so on." Well, they're, they're signed by what? Members well, Half Man, Half Biscuit actually do, do send in letters, I believe. Usually signed Nick Drake or Patty <laughs> Smith. <laughs> and they get published. And they look saner than most of the, uh, the real letters. It's an old tradition, that is, isn't it? Joe Orton used to do that. Yeah. Joe Orton and... Uh, what was the name of Joe Orton's lover? Kenneth Hallowell. Anyway. <laughs> so, uh, word podcast. Um, I, I come back from my weekend away in, uh, in Barcelona to find that the nation is paralysed with shock and grief, uh, discovering that Woolworths are no longer stocking singles. It, it is bad, isn't it? Because that's going to throw a lot of us off the scent, because we all bought singles in Woolworths, didn't we? 
Every, oh, I know. No, no. Yeah, but we bought we bought proper singles, you know, vinyl singles. This this it's really this essentially this is CD singles, isn't it? This oh yeah, is, yeah, yeah. This is the end of the CD single. Yeah. I mean, they haven't sold vinyl singles in there for fifteen it's a long, years. Yes, yeah, that's so. right. Yeah, but that's the, the peculiar thing about the CD medium is that once it's gone, it'll almost be as if it never really existed. I don't know whether young people will feel the same kind of tactile nostalgia for CDs that we old gits tend to feel about uh, vinyl. But in terms of my lifetime, I feel as if I went from vinyl to MP3s. Everything mm. that happened in between, it, it's, it's scarcely registered with me. I, know, mm. I can chuck out all my old CDs and it causes me not a tremble. Mm, yeah. really? But yeah. I can't part with so all have vinyl. have you done that? Go on, have you got rid of stuff? Well, I get rid of CDs all the while because, of course, I, you, know, you, you shove them onto your computer, onto your iTunes. Mm. Once you you've done that, more. why do you need this crappy piece yeah. of plastic anymore? It's true. I know a friend of mine I was talking to at the weekend was saying that he's in the process of selling off all his CDs, loads of which he has burnt uh, and, you know, kept on a, on a big hard drive and loads of which he just, just thinks, well, I'm never going to play them. I'm literally never going to put this in a machine and play it ever again. But with vinyl, keep it all. But the CDs, I think it's true what Paul said. I think they'll just, it will be like the missing format. Well, because you know, the, the other, form, the other there's format, no warmth towards it. The other format that disappeared totally from, <laughs> from the face of the earth and barely anybody can remember it now is the cassette. Yeah. Yeah. Which in the late 70s, early 80s, let's not forget, mm. was the biggest selling medium. Yeah. Now, if you want yeah. to sell a lot of ABBA or Rod Stewart's Atlantic Crossing or, you know, Elton John, people like that, were cassette stars, yeah. weren't they? You know, oh, yeah. Have, you seen, that? Have you seen that fantastic website? And all it is, it's one page, and it's just every, well, not, probably not every single, but it's all the different types of designs oh, yeah. of cassettes. Oh, really? And you just scroll down yeah. and down and down. It's and cassette PDK port, isn't it? And, yeah. and Sony. Well, and people try to do different Maxell. shapes. No, no. No, no, just the, just the just different... The scan bin, yeah. the actual the designs of the cassettes. So all the cassettes look basically exactly the same, but it's yeah. just the, the sticker the around them, yeah. yeah. And sort of WH Smith C15s it's and stuff. absolutely fantastic. <laughs> and you realise how many, you know, what a part of your life they were. Yeah. It's amazing. I got a reminder of the strange... Fetishization of, of, of records the other day when I got a really nice series of some reissues sent from Blue Note, uh, jazz funk reissues from the 70s and 80s or whatever, where they'd made the packaging look as if uh, it was a paper packaging that still bore the imprint of the record inside. Oh, yeah, you know, you used yeah, to keep yeah, a record yeah, inside yeah, paper long yeah, enough. Yeah. Eventually, you pull the record out and it would show the imprint. Yeah. Of the how, how bizarre is that to be doing that on CD? Yeah. You know, yeah. to make it look like a really old record. Yeah. Anyway, I suppose the amazing thing about, about Woolworths, and, and you know, that is the end of the singles market, isn't it? I mean, because yeah. that was always the place where if you really had. It almost struck me the singles market, there were two markets. There was the kind of enthusiast market, mm. you know, jam fans or people who read about, you know, dance records or whatever. And they, and they, they were kind of early adopters. They bought things very quickly. Yeah. But you only knew if something was going to be a huge hit on the basis of whether Woolies stocked it yeah, if Woolies and sold yeah, it. If Woolies weighed in for thousands of them, then it was It, it was, was going to go. Because people went hit. into Woolies uh, on a Saturday and, you know, they bought, you know, whatever. They went to the pick and mix and they bought a couple of vests for the kids and mm. you know <laughs> yeah. you know or whatever yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the half, uh, know, half and a kilo of creme caramels <laughs> and, uh, and the new Donald Summer thing <laughs> yeah. uh, from the Ladybird concession but can anybody, <laughs> can anyone remember the last single they actually bought in Woolworths or even if, if you ever have done because I, I can remember being with Go someone on. buying a single in Woolworths but it was about 20 years ago and I was with my cousin and we were in Hazelmere and he bought a copy of uh, Wee Papa Girl Rappers, uh, Heat It Up. 
on seven no. inch from Woolworths. Not even the hip. Not even the hip. Yeah. <laughs> See what the problem with uh, the, the real shame, and I don't think I've, I can't remember ever buying a kind of a single from Woolworths, but I can remember root spending many a happy hour rooting through the mm. remainder bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because that was where they'd ordered the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that, that you liked yeah. that didn't get didn't get into the charts. Yes. Yeah. Because the important thing is, is is the way that Woolworths, if I'm right in remembering, the way they used to display singles was unique, wasn't it? That yeah. They used to just rack out the chart. Yeah. 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 So forty to one, you just work your way along, yeah. you know, and yeah. you you search for the thing by the number. Mm. Do you know what I think's really sad about it? It's not anything to do with Woolworths. The fact that there is there is Surely it's the death knell, the bell is tolling now for the top 40 Sunday afternoon countdown. But surely it'll just be, tra- it's just the physical release that's, that's uh, getting strangled. No, it's no, not, it, I mean, because it still, it still equates to the, the, you know, there's still equates to a chart at the end of it. It's just that people don't actually want to go physically to a shop. It's becoming more and more abstract, isn't it? It's becoming more and more abstract, less about physical things. And that's. It's, it's, not it's, a that's my, my whole argument with the char- about the chart mm. was that it was, it was invented. As a means of managing distribution of a physical product, yeah, isn't it? yeah, we produce thousands of different things. Mm. Let's just let's elect some of these things as the most popular ones, mm. and then let's manufacture a lot more of them and send them down the pipe, yeah. so that mm. they're there on the Monday or, yeah. or Tuesday. Yeah. Because it became a self-fulfilling thing, didn't it? If you went in the chart at number twenty-seven, all the stock shops stopped you, put you in the chart, you went in there and bought mm. it. Yeah. Well, once physical distribution is dead. Who cares whether something well, is the 15th most popular record in the country? Or the same, the same the thing, though, isn't it? The charts ceased to exist for me when they stopped uh, Top of the Pops. Yes. Mm. It's like, yeah. you know, if the tree falls in the middle of the forest and there's nobody there to hear it, it doesn't yeah. make a sound. No, if a record true. goes to number one, but there's no Top of the Pops you to show it on, has it really gone to number one? In effect, yeah. it hasn't, you know. Yeah. But also, what killed Top of the Pops is the fact that the records went straight to number one. Yeah. yeah. Because the great drama of Double the Pops was you went, it doesn't matter if you, if you were huge, apart from, you know, even the jam, did the jam go in at number one? Or did they go very near number one? Yeah. Well, it used to be a bit like, you know, the charts used to be a bit like a horse race. Yeah. Um, you know, the favourite might win in the end, but the favourites had to had pull to his way there. to the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, um, had to fight and then he had to stay there. And, and, and maybe he'd slip behind and so on. It was, it was, it was, it was like um, they were jockeying for position. It was exciting. Whereas now they, now they just get marketed straight to number one, and then um, it's over. And, and anything's not number one, it's a flop. Yeah. Then also, yeah. I think the other the trouble with Top of the Pops was that it got taken, it got taken away from what it was, which is a show that showed groups playing their latest hit record into being all this sort of magazine-style program where you let's go and meet the stars backstage, yes. and blah blah blah. And someone's coming in to do a special show. And it's not about that. It should, it, you know, the beauty of it was here are 10 records who are going up the charts or whatever and here are the ba- here's the band playing them and when you take that away and you start messing around with it it just well who cares you know well it, it shows it's one of those tv formats you simply cannot improve can mm, you you no. know it's the worst thing in the world is to is to look at you know match of the day or something like that and think do you know what this that, needs that's life. it needs a cooking <laughs> spot <or laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it just has its basic yeah, you know yeah. mechanic and that's what works yeah. i was so interesting i was talking to mark cooper about this who was who, you know was the executive producer of Tom the pots when it finally uh, closed mm. for another podcast uh, backstage podcast which you can you can find via the site and he he reckons that one of the uh, one of the key things that happened with Tom the pops is it stopped being a family show yeah and it used to be family entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> you sat and watched it. And part of the teenage experience was you watched it with your disapproving father mm. behind the paper, you know, across the room. Harumph. Yeah. <laughs> saying one of either two one mm. of two things, you know. 
Uh, is that a boy or is it a girl? Absolutely, that is one. Or, and what's the other one? The other one is uh, you can't understand any of the words he's saying. Oh, no, there's three. Okay, I was going to say, my dad used to say, call this music. <laughs> call this music. I, yeah. I actually did, I had to do this speech at something not long ago and I actually said, come on, what did your dad used to say when you watched some of the books? And about five hands went up and said, is that a boy or is that a girl? Yeah. It's, a, it's amazing. That, you know, there was such sort of, uh, you know, harmony throughout the living rooms of the country. But maybe also it's just a, a case of a, a show that had reached its natural end in the sense that they, there wasn't the generational gap between people. Music was available in other places. And it wasn't, you know, that, that idea that, you know, we would sit and watch it and there'd be conflicting generational values put onto this one programme just wasn't going to exist anymore anyway. And people were experiencing music in lots of different yeah. ways, but, which is a shame. And when Beyonce yeah. came on, no one could say, is that a boy or a girl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it looks like a girl I to me. I think it's also one of those cases, though, where, a bit, where what happens is a business gets too clever for its own good. Mm. And so the record business and the BBC, between them, thought, we will, we will organise pop music for our own convenience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And what they did yeah. was they killed it. Mm. And I think the same, here's my prediction, the same thing will happen in football. Mm. Yeah. Is that, is, and it's, it's already cozy. happening, that they, the big clubs will say, well, let's get rid of all this relegation malarkey, shall mm. we? So we just keep our snouts in the trough for as long as possible. Mm. And as soon as you don't have, you know, the danger of catastrophe... Mm. Yeah. You don't have the thing that makes people watch Match of the Day. But it's the same thing as, uh, I mean, I do, I'm not a football fan, I don't really, I don't, I don't follow it. But I was thinking this the other day about the FA Cup and how when I was 10 or 12 oh, or something, man. the FA Cup was like the really big deal. The FA Cup was a really big deal. And it would be Liverpool and Man United playing it out. And now, every, now it seems to me that every, you know, Portsmouth win it and it's sort of someone else. And it's sort of like, it's kind of the one that's left aside. But for the other people to fight out, whereas the same four people play for the Premiership and the European yeah. things, because uh, that's where the real prize money is, you know. And that's again, it's like the charts. It's like, well, it's been rigged, rigged, ooh, allegedly, uh, <laughs> for for certain people's benefit. Whereas, you know, and it, it it suited the charts, the major labels to have their records going at number one, yeah. market share, blah blah blah. And now it's the big clubs. They win all those things for their market share, and it's, the whole thing becomes really tedious. I'm very odd about the cup final because I'm very traditionalist, mm. and I really approve of the cup final. But I sit there and watch it and think, this is boring. Yeah, this used to be the most exciting day of the year. Oh, I, used to, I used to get up and watch, watch the television. Which the build up from about eight <laughs> 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 Yeah, that was about the only thing you ever got. It was the only thing you ever got the chance to see, really, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I remember in the old days, the most exciting thing on TV was the teleprinter. You know, really yes, clunky yeah. old piece of technology. Yeah. Because that was the Proper only that balls, was yeah. the only data stream that you had. <laughs> and it was just the most riveting yeah. piece of TV. You can't go back to it. You can't recreate that world. It's no. gone. Who scores coming up next? But it was that was the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you had to you had to sit through Hamilton Academical's results. Wait, you know, yeah. East five four 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 five. It's, it's, it's funny. I emailed Paul the other day to arrange the time of recording this podcast. I said so four o'clock, and Paul responded, "Okay, four five four East five five. But that's a joke. First cracked in about nine fifty two. But also that, that just <laughs> tele that was teleprinter. But, that, but that's the proof of how how amazing that whole kind of teleprinter culture was. That everybody knows Queen of the South and Forfar and uh, you know Hamilton 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 Academical. Academical. in yeah. the same way that they know uh, you know the shipping forecast. 
Yes. You know, those names yes. are yes. indelibly imprinted on your yeah. mind because there wasn't that much media and what there was, you soaked up in the stuff that was a bit weird. Yes, you, you couldn't get around the shipping forecast. No, exactly. It was unavoidable. Yeah. yeah, it was just there. You had to yeah. take part in it, you know, whether, whether you wanted to or not. So, strange irony of football coverage nowadays. I go to Barcelona for the weekend. I turn on the television in my hotel about six o'clock on Saturday, and there is the Scottish Cup final <laughs> with Spanish commentary. Wow. Queen of the South and Glasgow Rangers is shown live on Spanish television. Oh. Free to air, presumably. If you wanted to watch it in Britain, you'd have to pay for it. Well, because why? Because we get treated like dirt because we're really bothered about it. Yeah. The rest of the world, it's you know, it's for export. Yeah. You know, they're quite happy to subsidise it competing with local no, markets. No, no, I'm trying to say who, you know, would be interested in Queen's Fantastic Arrangements. Well, well in according, to my, according to my son who's studying out there at the moment, that the Spanish football mania makes Britain look as if it's not even trying. Right, right, right. You know, you turn on the television and there will be 13, 14-year-old boys playing football, fully televised, schoolboy, just games, you yeah. know. It, the, the people will watch anybody kicking a ball in Spain. Fantastic. Anyway. <laughs> um, or kicking a donkey. Oh, yeah. Or, 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 or getting killed by a ball. So how did we start on singles on, in Woolworths? Do you, do you remember what, was, what the floor was made of in Woolworths? Going way back. It was old singles. <laughs> Unsold copies. Of, I don't uh, know if it's just me. because I'm like, it was all sorts. That's very old. <laughs> I always remember Woolworths having wooden floors. Jesus, that's going back a long time, isn't it? Wooden floor. Paul, yeah, look at me, hell. No, that's, that was, that, that's, that's, that's quite true. The very oldest branches, um, I remember. Literally. The, old the newest suburban ones didn't, but uh, the oldest, that was part of the, um, the branding, I suppose. Wasn't yes. It? The yeah. overall style. Very then, uh, highly varnished. Um, yes. <laughs> With pick and mix slithering all over <laughs> the place. <laughs> Yeah, it was a total concept, wasn't it? I suppose so, yeah. They never even knew it was a total concept. No, but they were growing the brand via yeah. uh, highly polished wooden floors. The Word. A magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So while we're, while we're wandering down memory lane, I, I, I should just respect, gentlemen, to Ron Diggins, who died last year at the age of 90 in Lincolnshire. And Ron Diggins was allegedly the inventor of the disc jockey. Mm. Now you know who'd fight him about yeah. that. Yeah. I know he was. Jewelry, jewelry. Yeah, tell us. Lovely young ladies. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jimbo, wouldn't he? He wouldn't be kidding that because he says that he invented it in Leeds yes. in the 1940s. I think Jimmy yeah. Silver, Jimmy Silver will say that he invented the kind of proper disco, didn't he? The idea that yeah. dance hall could could get people in to just yeah. listen to records just to rather listen, than yeah. having to have a band. And yeah. yet it seems such a simple thing. You can't quite believe that any one person ever invented the idea yeah, of playing, playing a record in a large room and people mm. yeah, and charging people to dance to it. Yeah. Fair play to Jimmy Savile. He also invented the, the lunchtime disco. Good, mom, that's good work. Because oh, my mum yeah. used to, uh, before she got married, she worked in a, uh, a shop in Manchester, in the centre of Manchester, and she, she remembers going and literally running all the way to the hall where Jimmy Savile did his lunchtime oh, disco really? on Friday. Wow. Doing it for, you know, dancing around to records oh, for, that's for fantastic. 45 minutes and then running back up Dean's Gate. What an amazing, oh, and yeah. what was the job that she was escaping from? She was a, she was a shop assistant in a, um, in, um, Woolworths. A, no, not Woolworths, <laughs> yes, in a, um, clothes shop. 
But how amazing would that be that you'd, uh, you'd, your thirst for pop music would be so strong that you'd run out of the office at lunchtime, have a juke about, and then run back? That's amazing. what they did. That's what they did. That's how the cabin got started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was lunchtime. Silver black at the cloakroom at lunchtime. Are there occasions on which you ran in pursuit of popular music? That's a good threat. This is interesting. I used to work. That came later. I used to work at, at the H&V shop in Oxford Street, mm. and on Wednesdays, you could get the NME in the West End of London, uh, yeah, a day before you could get it still can. anywhere else in the UK. Mm. And I used to run down to the kiosk at Oxford Circus Tube Station to, you know, to, to see if I could get a copy. And if it wasn't there, it hadn't come yet, you'd go back. And then you're running again, mm. like ten minutes later, you know, so that everybody could do the crossword. You just can't imagine. <laughs> How long ago was that? You know? And you were um, working in a huge record shop on Oxford Street, and you're still that starved of entertainment. You know, running, well, <laughs> must do the crossword. But is there anything in pop music that quickens the pulse quite in that fashion nowadays for for young people? Is there? I don't know because the thing is you don't. But you don't have to physically. Sometimes we share our hats. You don't have to physically go and get the stuff, do you? No, no, no. I suppose that sense of rushing for tickets yeah. or to buy something like you know everything's delivered. Actually, to be fair, to be fair, in the new age of buying tickets online, people do get yeah, yeah. very heads up at like yeah. ten to nine <laughs> yeah. on the day that and also, Oasis there are, there tickets. And things that are available on MySpace pages. For a certain amount of time for download. Oh, really? You know, people put up tracks that you can download for a certain amount of time and then they're gone. So back to Ron Diggins, just to tell you, he was a professional radio engineer. In 1949, he made his own mobile science system with two record decks, which we must assume were 78 decks. They were selling this equipment today at auction. I wish I'd been there. A sound mixer, lights, microphone, amplifier, and ten speakers. We should have got that for the office, shouldn't he we? He called it the Digola. <laughs> <laughs> I love him already. Was it Double G. <laughs> no, we love Ron. Yeah. We was like Ron. Was it DJ Diggy? No, I, I think I get the DJ Diggy Dig. I get the impression from this the decisive interview of the Boston Standard that yeah. I'm consulting here that yeah. he remained a bit bemused by his his kind of uh, unique part in 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 the history. But he, he, he never thought that it would anything, be anything to do with dancing until a fateful day in September 1947 when he <laughs> received a visit from the girls from the Swine's Head Land Army. Oh, what? <laughs> they were passing the Just office. Stop quickly. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Mine too. Is it me or is it hot in there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, those apple cheek maidens from the Swine Head Land Army. Beefy forearms. Oh. My mother, my, from my mother was in the land army in Lincolnshire. <laughs> I'll have you know. How dare you? <laughs> I worked in Woolworths. So they were DJ. passing the office. They saw his van, which oh, yeah. must have advertised his services on the side, and asked if it could be used for dancing. They were having... This is a be still my heart, my beating heart moment. This is. They were having a harvest supper with some of the Italian prisoners of war. Jesus. <laughs> so that's what they okay. called it. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's Ron, the inventor of the mobile disco. So you know, uh, respect to Ron. The word. Talking to people uh, making extraordinary entertainment undertakings, sparks. Just around mm. the corner from here, not far from where, you know, Joe Orton and Kenneth Halliwell slaughtered each other. Um, actually, oh. we've been recording for about half an hour. We haven't heard the sound of Young Islington, have we? There we go. Outside. It's 
quick. Let's be quiet on. for a second. Let's see, see when you're a siren. Shall I open the window? Do you know why? Go on. Part two. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, yeah. Yeah, but they're still out there. You know. No, they haven't got up yet. No, they're not. Yeah, <laughs> they're planning something. It's too damn quiet. <laughs> yeah. they're, all, they're all playing nicked wheeze. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, Sparks are playing. I think twenty-one of their albums on consecutive nights at the uh, the uh, Carling Academy. We still call it the Carling Academy, Rob. I think we do. The Carling Academy in Islington uh, for hardcore Sparks fans can go along. Very Every hard. night, and you know, pass through their their glorious history, and so, seeing it was near, we <laughs> sent along Andrew Harrison to ask them why they did it. So we're at the Carling Academy with uh, Ron and Russell Mail of Sparks in the middle of well, not the middle. It's like how many four shows in now? Four shows in, and we're seventeen to go. Yeah. <laughs> we're in the first twenty-five percent. Yes, and uh, how is morale at the moment in the, the Sparks Endurance campaign? It's, it's really good. I mean, it, it, it would have been rough except for the, the kind of almost uh, violent reaction that we've gotten the last four nights. So we're... Violently it, positive. Positive. Positive, violent, I mean. Violence sounds yeah, but like I'm, a bad thing. Well, I'm, I'm pro-violence usually. So. But it, it's, been, it's been really kind of even beyond what we expected because... You know, it's a it's a lot to ask of people to kind of sit through, you know, one entire album, you know, and, and not have like sort of a greatest hits, but be kind of a completist about it. And, and the reaction has been so amazing that it's it's kind of ma- made it worthwhile. We we've rehearsed for four months leading up to this, and uh, that part of it was very difficult. But th- this part has kind of been the uh, payoff for us. Did you manage to work out exactly how many songs you had to learn for this? Well, it's in the area of 255, something like that. Yeah? Yeah, we're pretty, it's give or take one or two. And we're doing, we do one B-side or obscure song as an encore each night in addition to, to each of the albums. I noticed that I came to see uh, Come On At My House on Sunday and I noticed that not only were people word perfect on the album, they were word perfect on the B-side as well. <laughs> well I know, I know, it's, it's, they're crazy, they, they're, they're into it. We, we decided to we let the Sparks fans vote for the, um, when we do the, the 21st album, Exotic Creatures of the Deep, on, at, uh, on uh, June 13th to end all of this, that we would uh, let, let the uh, fans decide the, the songs that will be the, uh, the second half of the show that evening too, so we're going to throw it open to a democratic vote. Do you think people might deliberately try and choose the awkward and most obscure ones, though? Because yeah. that's what fans do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll just go, oh, hey, magically, this town got in there. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. <laughs> that's and the kind of thing you get fined for by, you know, p- people checking out the phone. That's right. Fixed, so you that's can't do right. that anymore. Well, our democracy might not be such a democracy. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed in the crowd for Kimono, there was, I could hear voices from Germany and I think Sweden and certainly France. They, they are coming from all over, aren't they? It's yeah. crazy. We did a, a an in-store signing yesterday and... And there were actually a lot from America too, and we we're just saying that's eh, like unbelievable in Japan. Canada, Japan, all over the continent, Russia. So it's just it's really you know it's really heartwarming to see these people, you know, coming such distances uh, 
you know, it's 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 really uh, really amazing. So you will have to do it somewhere else now, won't you? Well, that, that we've been asked that a million times. Will you do it again? And you know, we'd love to because just the concept is is what it's all about for us. And we, it's a shame that it, that so much uh, logistically has to go into <laughs> doing something like this, and you know, getting a venue for one month blocked out. You know that they can't have other acts virtually playing, and and just that you know all the other logistics that are involved but if there's a way to try it some other place we'd we're up for it and i must admit i always thought that the geisha girls and the fun that come out of my house were you two guys but you dedicated it yeah. a song to somebody who actually was on the yeah, cover yeah one of the two girls the one on the right in the cover uh was there for kimono night and uh it was it's pretty amazing uh, 30 odd years later seeing her out there in the audience. Cool. How, have other figures from Sparks' past materialized for these shows so far? How, how, I'm sorry. How, have other figures from Sparks' past materialized? Um, uh, not, I mean, not so much. I don't know. We, uh, that's the only one of note so far. So, right. uh, yeah. I did see Jonathan Ross in the crowd as well. That's right. Jonathan Ross was there. Uh, so, yeah, he was rooting away. So. Now, normally, when a band does a, a 21-date tour, you basically live your life in vans, don't you? Because you finish and you load up and you go off somewhere else. You're doing a 21-day tour in the same place. I believe it's what's technically known as a residency. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've, we've you know, it, it's sort of a, an extensive tour of, of one menu. <laughs> so how are you, uh, you know, those times when you don't know if you sat on a van watching DVDs or trying to, trying to read, what are you doing with it in those spare moments now? Well, you know, the, the shows have been pretty tightly packed, crammed together, so we really, we really haven't had, like, a lot of uh, free time. And on, on the days when we are off, we, we usually go over the next album or the next couple of albums just because it, it's, it's so difficult to just to remember all those chords and notes and words. And, and so that there really isn't any kind of downtime. It isn't... You know, there's not no uh, trips to the movies or or anything. It's all just kind of rehearsing. It's you've made it about fear and backs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, all the bands who could do this probably won't now, will they? Because they'll go, "Well, Sparks have done it. We can't. We well, can't repeat yeah, what they've done." We uh, we hog the market on it. So, uh, yeah, they're going to have to figure out another idea. <laughs> but if other people were going to do it, who would you like? Who who could you watch the entire catalogue? Well, it, when he was alive, if Serge Gansberg had done it, you know, I would have liked mm -hmm. that. Even though his voice sort of couldn't change so much, you know, over over the years, that probably him doing his first albums wouldn't have sounded like his first albums. But somebody like that, with a a breadth of of material, and also where what they were doing later on was as strong but in a different kind of way as what they did originally but most of the people that have that many albums at least in our minds you know maybe it's vanity on our part but just it seems like there's been sort of a uh, a diminishing of the quality of what they've done as time has gone on and or maybe at a certain point in their career so i i don't think uh, if anybody were st stupid enough to do this with that many albums, it probably wouldn't be the the same thing as what we're doing. I mean, we really do feel that what we're doing now, it isn't the same as what we did early on, but 
but it's at least as, as strong as what we did early on. How about you, Russell? Who, who would you like to say in that well, whole? Well, in thing? keeping with it, what he said, you know, I like, you know, I I like to see, you know, her uh, Satanic Majesty's request done live. So I'd I'd say Rolling Stones, but then then uh, you know, like what Ron was saying, the uh, the later albums yeah. weren't weren't uh, you know in the same kind of vein at least. So I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. You know. Um, you know, the Kinks could do one. That would be good if they want to ever get back together again. That would be. That would be okay, too. So that's our roving reporter, Andrew Harrison. Going, <laughs> raving reporter. Raving reporter. <laughs> going about 50 yards to talk to Ronald Russell Mail. The things we do for you, dear listeners. Absolutely. We go the extra mile. Hotel. So Andrew's dutifully going along and you know hearing a different Sparks album every night. That goes through to the 11th of June Jesus. when they finish <laughs> with... <laughs> The, fr- the, um, the phrase "kill me now" is running through my brain. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Cause the tenth of June is my birthday. I don't think I'll be spending. <laughs> you never know. Well, right. so you might have a little surprise okay. for you. So you wouldn't go and see Sparks doing that every night, but some people would. Yeah. yeah? Mm. Who would you like to go and see every night? Doing, you know, going through their repertoire in that fashion. Living or dead. Okay. They'll let you hide, they Jimi Hendrix would be good amongst the Ted ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially if you confine it to his, you know, the prop the studio yeah. albums. Not all those rubbish blues compilations. So, so how many records are we talking about? Well, Jimi Hendrix three, alive. There are three gone. perfectly realised studio albums. In are the, you experienced? In the Hendrix catalogue. Axis Bold of Love. Yeah. Uh, Electric Landlady. Yeah. Landlady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as Kirsty McCall. And, yeah, so that's quite easy. There's yeah. one double, but we, we can deal with that. Yeah. Okay? That's yeah. right. Yeah. So, Jimi um, Hendrix would have, would we? Matt? I'd, I'd like The Clash, as long as... As long as the third night, no, the fourth night, a lot of rubbish in there. As long as the fourth night, start early. You can have a night off, of course. So go on. How many, how many Clash albums are we counting? The first one. The first one. You're going to go and listen to Give Him Enough Rope. I'm a big fan of Give Him Enough Rope. Sandinista's going to go all nice, isn't it? So you go. So we go Sandinista, and then you go what? London Calling. London Calling, Sandinista, and then Combat Rock. I think that'd be. What about Cut the Crap? What about This Is England? That's Which I like, this is England. That's, 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 I like the great song there. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. Anybody? Rob? Nick Drake. Nick Drake, very easy. Three, Three perfect records. albums. Toes turned up. Toes turned up. Did, oh, did the Although thing. if he came back to play them, he could also do Time and No Reply. Well, yes. Yeah. Which would, uh, you know, that would be nice. <laughs> he said, I know I'd like to play my posthumous record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <That'd be something. laughs> yeah. You might know this one. I actually don't. There we go. Anyway, this is Black Eyed Dog. There are a few people... That you would, you'd tolerate all their records actually. Steely Dan, if you're a fan, I think you probably would. Yep. You know, uh, Paul Simon, you probably would. It's not a terrible well, Paul I Simon record. Yeah, I, I would, would, yeah. I'd defend Paul Simon. What about that one of the Hispanic band? It's, it's, it's crazy. I think, the, I think apparently the play was terrible, but the record itself, oh, right. Cape yeah. Man. So, Cape yeah. Man, you know, yeah. for kind of consistency, he's better than most, Paul Simon. Yeah. Bruce Springsteen, you might take a short break in the middle, and you know, yeah. but uh, there's quite. Leave him alone while he was singing. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the Leave you alone to sing Nebraska. We'll go to the pub. Yeah, we'll all come back when you start again. What so, about Joni Mitchell? Oh, uh, if she was going to do like twenty uh, nights at uh, you know Labatt's Apollo. Should we call it Labatt's Apollo? Um, that might be quite good, as long as she doesn't play that last bloody record. 
Well, yeah, but there always going to be one rubbish one, isn't there? No, but that record is dreadful. Yeah, but you, if that's the last night, you could just bunk out and say, I've got, I've got uh, laryngitis. <laughs> or something like that. You know, you're off, aren't you? Have you seen that that's a BBC special that she did in 1970? That's amazing. Have you seen that, Paul? No. She did, just did it in concert, around yeah. about the time of Blue. Mm. She happened to be over here, and she just played pretty much Blue and For the Roses. There's yeah. a fantastic live album of Jenny Mitchell's that I've only ever seen and heard once called Miles, Miles of Miles, Miles, Miles. slightly yeah. later. Which yeah. has just got the best version of Woodstock. Yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, but if, you, rocks, it? if yeah. you just go on YouTube and look at this stuff, it's unbelievable because the simplicity of it is extraordinary. But, and what you realise yeah. is she never got any better. Yeah. I mean, she did more sophisticated things, yeah. undoubtedly. But it also makes you realise how absolutely startling, I mean, it's startling now, 37 years later, so what it must have looked like then and must have sounded like it was just kind of unbelievable. I, I, I kind of remember, she was, not, she was not the knockout then that she is now, actually. No. I think she kind of took her, took her place amongst the, you know, the, the long-haired, uh, you know, hippie songstresses, mm. alongside, you know, Judy Collins and Laura and Ira and Sandy Denny and whatever. Jesse and I don't think we realised how good Jenny Mitchell no, was no, until years true, later. That's true of a lot of them. Mm. Um, at the time, I think, as I remember it, it seemed like so much was startling that almost nothing was startling. You, right. were just, you, were just, you were just accustomed to a certain level of quality with almost everything that came down the pipe. Well, that's a fantastic bit, isn't there, in, uh, in Barney Hoskins' um, California Dreaming, where he talks about when Crosby and Jenny Mitchell hooked up, and nobody yeah. knew Jenny Mitchell. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Crosby's kick at that point was just taking her to parties. Yes, yeah. to let her play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And everyone just going, watching everyone's yes. jaws yeah. yes. hit yeah, the floor, yeah. you know. Yeah. I think the only person who tried to compete was Bob Dylan. I think yeah. <laughs> Bob Dylan's such an ego. Yeah, I'll still play. <laughs> Everybody else steps away, and thinks I'm, I'm yeah. outclassed here. Everyone Not, else Bob. Not Bob. <laughs> Not Bob. Yeah. Probably also invited her back to his room. I would yeah. imagine. A magazine, a website, a podcast, the Word. Talking to YouTube, which is where you can find all these things. The Everything. other startling piece of news today is that there's a serious, you know, lawsuit brewing in the United States between Viacom, the owners of MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, whatever. You know, when you, when you say Viacom, do you want to go Viacom? <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> I should do, shouldn't I, really? And, uh, and YouTube, or Google, the owners of YouTube. And basically saying, this has gone on long enough, yeah. you know, you, you stealing our material. Promote stealing our material. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it just seems that the case of... of, uh, of Viacom of all people mm. choosing to do this just seems pot and kettle gone crazy. Like radio stations accusing, being accused of ripping off record companies. I mean, you know, you just which which way does payola flow? <laughs> Traditionally, yeah. it's the record companies paying the radio I stations. I suppose you, the, the, the difference would be in theory, though, that someone playing a record in a radio station, uh, you go, oh, that's a good record, then I'll go and buy it, and you can't then ask that radio station to play it again and again. I mean, I know in that Viacom thing, they're saying that, for instance, Al Gore's um, Inconvenient Truth has been watched one and a half billion times. Which is go, what well, he wanted. Know, which, which is what he, yeah, exactly what he wanted, but it's not what Viacom wanted, because Viacom wanted what, those one and a half billion people to buy the DVD, didn't they? But um, people watch the whole probably thing. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know, the only way I get to see any TV is I watch bits of it on YouTube, and then I decide, <laughs> yes. okay, and now I'll, I'll go out and buy the DVD now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You bypass the broadcast so media. Fact, but yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. watch the TV. I literally, you know, if one says I don't watch TV, I literally don't watch TV. No, really? but I do sample things on YouTube, and then I will mm. buy a DVD or something. Mm. You know, 
And so for me, YouTube is fulfilling the old function that radio did vis-a-vis -vis the music industry. Yeah. It's giving you a taste of something that you may want to go and yeah. invest in. Yeah. Do you literally have no digital recording device? For, on your TV that you would record and then watch TV programs from? Like, like, like most dozy old adults, you know, I've got to get a small child in to operate it. I, no, I mean, I watch, it, I watch the news maybe, I watch, I watch football. Mm. But beyond that, I just like it to be filtered by word of mouth for me. Yeah, yeah. The only bit of TV I see are the three-minute segment that comes up when I load a DVD in. Oh, yeah. First of all, the TV fires up. And I get oh, yeah. three seconds of TV. That is always my hell-in-a-handcart moment. Yeah. <laughs> TV is every bit as cretinous as I remember it being. Yeah. Thank you. I can't wait for it's my three seconds to be off. I think there is... I, the, the more and more and more and more and more, nobody I know watches TV. This is the great truth, isn't it? That no, people just don't watch TV. Nobody watches what's scheduled to watch on TV. You watch bits and no, you record it and you watch uh, it when you yeah, want to watch it. That's true. Well, no, I know, I know, I know, I know but what I'm saying is... In, in the tiny coterie of London media professionals, in which I, in, uh, in those <laughs> six, in, amongst those six people, else? amongst those six people, and clearly no one else matters. Nobody watches TV. They just know it's just you know, and you go, well, here's the schedules, and here's what we worked out, and we're going to do this then and that then. No, cares? and the other thing you can do now Nobody is, uh, with uh, iTunes. You know, I mean, iTunes yeah. very helpfully send me a little email every week and say, this is the great new American series. Yeah, and I buy it for one pound seventy or whatever it is. And I get, you know, I get to know TV. Paradoxically, TV, much TV is better than TV has ever been. Yeah, yeah, no, that's true, yeah. Things yeah. made for the TV medium yeah. seem to get, uh, a lot of it gets better and better and yeah. better. But TV has the box in the corner, yeah, yeah, which, exactly. which yeah, yeah, strays sure. things at yeah. you. Yeah, is, that's, is a yeah less and less absolutely, that's, I agree. I mean, I just watched, finally, recorded all of it and only just started watching it a few days ago. week or so ago, it was Mad Men. It's absolutely oh, brilliant. Right, yeah, From yeah, the yeah. second you stick on, this is absolutely brilliant. You know, there's just not, not a single thing wrong. It looks brilliant. The acting's brilliant. The well, lighting's brilliant. Sky Plus did. I just Sky Plus a lot, yeah. Right. Sky Plus a lot. After it had been... Well, I mean, it had it been on, and I'd been reading about it, and going, this is great, and uh, all the reviews are great, and then I hadn't done anything about it. And then it was all on again a few weeks ago on uh, BBC4, I think, and I just just set it to record all of them. And they're just, I'm just playing through the lot, and just, there's, not a, there's not a boring second in it. I, you see, I think those big American series, where we've said this on the podcast before, are, are more exciting than albums are. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 They're, they're more absorbing, you know. Yeah. Oh, Matt, the, uh, the Wire Series 5, when's it coming? July. 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 It's for sale in August. Mm -hmm. The other thing I noticed about them is we was having a conversation the other day, and we were talking about old programs like, I don't know, Budgie or Steptoe. We mm. talk about them in the past tense, mm. but we talk about recent series in the present tense. Mm. The reason being, I think, that TV programs used to come on, then they disappeared more or yeah, less forever. Yeah, yeah. But now you get now things exist on uh, iTunes, uh, YouTube, DVD, and they're around forever as a book is. Like a book. Mm. We talk about Sopranos in the present tense, the way yeah. we talk about Oliver Twist in the present yeah. tense. Yeah. Mm. These characters are with us now for as long as we choose to spend mm. time with them. Yeah, yeah. What are you watching on uh, iTunes now? Oh, uh, pretty, I, I pretty much try everything right. uh, that comes along, just so I, at least I've got some sort of input into the outside world, yeah. you know, which are lonely authors in the garrets <laughs> don't, get, <laughs> don't get much so, at all. It's a hard day scratching away with the quill pen for you. Mm. Kind of, that's, 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 that's what I'm doing. I've been half man, uh, half biscuit land. I'm uh, writing a book about London. Um, about stupidly, London? Stupidly, yeah. You've gone to the world. I, I've travelled 200 <laughs> miles away from London to write a book about To have the proper perspective. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, uh, yes, it helps in some ways. You know, I wrote a book about Liverpool when I was in London. At, mm. uh, so London from what point of view? Not a kind of Peter Ackman. 
Ackroyd then? Uh, well, it's, it's hard to get away from Peter Ackroyd, uh, you know, from his influence, but um, I'm tracing the history of popular music through, um, through the centuries, and I've arrived at the conclusion that uh, Music Hall is the default setting of British popular music. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. British popular music isn't yeah. consciously uh, copying American idioms. No. Its default setting is the musical. Well, did, uh, did sooner or later we'll always go back to musical. Did you watch the uh, the re-release of uh, All Indies Love? Yeah, I just saw recently. I've seen I've seen parts of it so far. Because that the this, the um, episode there about musical, um, it's just and sort of variety of musical. It's just absolutely amazing it's absolutely just British pop music in that's the best thing about it's exactly the same thing with slightly different characters and yeah. filthy <laughs> and <laughs> filthy just oh god Mary, they were so filthy, filthy. Mary yeah. Lloyd the Mary girl Lloyd. who never had her ticket punched before <laughs> 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 it, was, it, was, it wasn't Why about British Rail. Yeah. Yeah, really. <laughs> She's never had her ticket punched. <laughs> she has now. Yeah. One bit of TV business you can probably you might be able to clear up for me, Matt. Oh, but Matt, you've been away. You've been at the the Hay on Wild Literary Festival. Tell us about that. It was well. It was quite amusing. <laughs> right. It was quite wet. Was it wet? Yeah, it was. It was nice the first couple of days, but people were saying when it was dry, people were going, "Oh, it was terrible last year. It was just like Glastonbury." And I was thinking. Yes, if Glastonbury has covered walkways if, <laughs> between every one of its right. centrally Go heated one tents, to another. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, I yeah. can see how it could be like yeah. Glastonbury. There are no bands, there's lots of books everywhere. Yeah. It would be exactly the same, yeah. yeah. High points? Um, Christopher Hitchens, it's very Oh, did he do his Why Women Aren't Funny thing? Uh, no, no, he did his, <laughs> followed by lynching. <laughs> his Why All Religion Is Bad. Oh, right. Uh, why God Isn't Funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, who else? I saw Tinaroan. Oh, were they oh, yeah. playing? Friday night. They were fantastic. They're pretty good, aren't they? Although I had to, re- well, I couldn't stay the whole time because I was driven away by bad dancing. All right. Uh, bad. Oh, there's world music dancing. World music yeah. dancing. Oh, oh, really? I take the task out. I wrote, <coughs> oh, that's really funny. I wrote a thing about, when I wrote about Tamani Jabati in Word, when I went to his club in, in Bamako, and, and there's two sorts of dancers in his club. There's African dancers. Mm. Yeah, who are generally strange they're kind of middle aged ladies actually mm. you know who make their way to the stage and you know they're quite slow in what they do and then there's what I, I frankly most of the white people are aid workers mm. yeah. and you they do a completely the place, rhythm left somewhere way 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 away <laughs> it's not just the rhythm it's something on the expressions on their faces it's because but they yeah. look, and they, I, I use the adjective in the piece, they look smug. Yeah. <laughs> uh. they, 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 they can't help but look it. No, but you know, I'm not dancing to the thing that most white people would dance yeah, to. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah, dancing yeah. to the ancient, yeah. you know... But also, the, but there's, there's so many subsects to it as well, because it's, it's not only I'm not dancing to the things that most white people would dance to, it's also I'm dancing to what I am dancing to in a different way, and yet I'm also aware of the fact yes, that I'm yes. a white person <laughs> dancing to it. But I know that, and I don't mind because yeah. I'm quite tuned in so, so I know you're having fun but I'm having fun with it yes. too so you know and in the meantime here I go yeah. I, too, I too have been to that club in, uh, in mm. Bamako at my Debatis Club and I, I saw the best way to dance to African music ever in that club and it was demonstrated by a very large very drunk Malian guy and the best way to do it was to literally what, let your eyes roll back so that you could only see the whites of them, mm. balance a full bottle of, an open full bottle of beer on your head, and sway across the dance floor <laughs> yeah. with this 
literally yeah. a pint bottle yeah. on top of your You see, and it's not a nightclub in the world that that wouldn't go down well in. That's <laughs> exactly. a, it's just simply a good look. I think we applauded. Yeah. So you enjoyed the narrow one? Tanara on the great. Yeah. Did they have the the female singer with them who does the ovulation? Yes, because she was off on maternity leave last they time did. I saw her, and she was badly missed. They did. They, they, they also had. They had. Um... She's had her ticket punched. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one way to tip up two, please. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they also had. There were the band were on stage playing, and the three backing vocalists. And Sound of young, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. You see, they've woken up now. I, I, I'm most impressed by their. Um, did you? Did they have the projection screen when you saw? Oh them? no, 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 no. Was no on the projection screen. What loads of sand? No, well, yeah, <laughs> pictures, but also the lyrics translated into English. Oh, that's oh. a good idea. Which is great because they're all they're all kind of Marxist revolutionary slogans, <laughs> so they sound fantastic. Yeah. It's like we remember the battles of '64. <laughs> they will come again. <laughs> Like, yeah, fantastic. There's a load of people from Dulwich Village going, oh shit. I don't know. <laughs> it's because all my no music is like that. Even Tamara Jabati's stuff, recorded with a symmetric orchestra that sounds like Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah. If you talk to Marlian, we'll tell you, that song is about a battle that took place in 1532 <laughs> that they have not forgotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they, you know, but they, but they, they make the Bosnians look like, yeah. you know, it's all about repetition. So this slogan is just basically repeated. You know, 50 times throughout the song, mm. then they move on to another one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I so love that group. I love that group. So, if, if the rain was falling on Hay on Y, it was presumably also falling on the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff, where the Welsh Rugby Union decided to stage a, a celebration of the fact that Wales won the Grand Slam about six months ago. And so, I don't know what you're doing on Saturday, but you're probably glad that you weren't at the Millennium Stadium. To watch the stereophonics and feeder. No, oh, I'm, I'm glad. I might that. be the only person in this room who's written cover features on the stereophonics and feeder. <laughs> so I can give you anything you want to know about either of them. I can tell why, you. Why, Rob? Why? Because uh, uh, someone paid me to do it. <laughs> so what happened to Eurovision? I come home and there's you know Terry Wogan is giving irate press conferences about saying we should withdraw. I know, silly. Is you watch it? Uh, no. Um, this is it's sort of it's nonsense, isn't it? Really, I mean, the the point about it seems to well, this idea that everyone's voting for each other is is uh, it may well be true. But the other point about it is is that as someone was saying on uh, um, the lovely Radio Four on Sunday morning, the, the vast majority of Europe is now shifted. The, Eurovision Song Contest is not about Western Europe anymore; it's about Eastern Europe, yep. mm. and they have a completely different set of cultural values and thing, and and different musical values and things like that than we have. And so the sort of big, overblown, you know, numbers are what they want. And we're going along with Andy Abrahams doing a sort of really sort of 10th rate kind of Barry White sort of soul number. It's just not going to hit anybody's buttons. Right. You know, it's just pointless. I and mean, it's just, uh, they're just, you know, you're looking at it's a completely wrong sort of audience for it. And so, so what we should do is probably we should find... East European immigrant with, you know, Good domiciled in the UK, yeah. Yeah. with finger on the pulse, yeah. Yeah. you know, relaunch back into Europe. Yeah. Sing, the singing plumber. The, the yeah. rainbow nation of Britain. You know. yeah. The Liberal, Liberal Democrat MP. Yeah. Yes. Yes. yes, we've got the cheeky girls. <laughs> yeah. That's a star. That's a star. Yeah. No, Terry Wogan's um, press conference said that uh, the Ukraine want to be absolutely sure that the electricity and oil yeah. flows through. <laughs> That's why yeah. they voted. Yeah. And I think in this, he was probably encouraged by the fact that Vladimir Putin 
who you may remember was the president of Russia and is now the prime minister. Yeah. How does that work? You're going to change back again. <laughs> yeah. uh, he sent the victor a telegram calling the win one more important triumph for all of Russia. <laughs> Which I don't think is the most so proud. <laughs> I don't think even the most chauvinist prime minister has ever done that when, when Sandy Shaw won or whatever. What was that last winner? Buck Spears, I suppose. Buck Spears, I think. Is yeah, it really no one, that long? No one can have won since Buck Spears, can they? Well, I was looking at in the, no, cha- in the, the list of winners, and also what you see is that between about 1963 and 1974, we won it about eight times. We won it almost every year, or came second almost every year. And that's because at that time... You know, if you look at the Eurovision songs of those times, loads of them have stood up really well because basically they're big orchestrated pop songs that appeal to a kind of Western European audience. And uh, but you look at them now, and they're all, they, you know, they're not meant for us. R&B. You know, but yeah. no, but you know, they're they're meant they're meant for a completely different audience that don't have, uh, you know, that don't want the same things from music that we I want. Also, I, was, I think I was listening to that same thing on uh, Radio Four. And I was really surprised to know that because England, France, Germany, and Spain, I think, is, oh, yeah. put in the majority of mu- the, mm. the they pay for it. The cash, yeah. yes. we get a buy into yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to. We don't. We, don't yeah, we came last, but we're still in next year because yeah. it, it was like it's only cost us two hundred thousand pounds or something, and it so what, was an enormous amount of years and fills loads we, of. We, we, so we could have we could have been like Steve McLaren. We could, <laughs> yes. we could have had our manager <laughs> with, you know, with an umbrella on the sidelines could, watching us go been, out. We could have all been going. I didn't know that. Yeah, no. yeah. It's good. It's I was just thought that the price of winning it was that you had to host yeah, it next do. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Which is why Ireland famously didn't want to after, after they picked. The, I can't remember which song it was, but why they after the third time when they won it on the trot. There's Johnny Logan. They, they picked they? a dreadful record yeah. purposely the next time, so, so they wouldn't win. You have delighted us long enough. Because not only do you have to. Host it. You have to pay for all the, you know, all the TV infrastructure. And presumably, there's more and more all the time. Yeah. There's more and more nations. Yeah. Is Israel still in Europe? Is that the last time I was in Europe? <laughs> Israel, I think, is in Europe. Uh, yeah. America's in Europe. Is well. Turkey in Europe? Yeah. 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 Turkey's in Europe. They are as far as Europe is, but it's the European Broadcasting Union. Oh, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a political entity. Geographical no. boundaries of Europe. Could it be a huge army where we all get together and take on the rest of the world? Do you think? Might that work? (laughs) (laughs) Talking of crossing continents, (laughs) have you followed the thrilling news that Tito Jacks now, the Jackson Fives, has turned up in Torquay? Oh, yeah. Appledore. Do you know all about this? Of course, you've got family down there, haven't you? It's in Cobble, but I've been reading about it, yeah. It's it's most entertaining. There's a rumour that the the Jacksons are going to relocate to uh, to North Devon. And they've been, Just and say they've been, that once. Yeah, I want to hear, that, hear that once. <laughs> yeah. The Jackson clan en masse is going to relocate to uh, Westwood Ho. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to go and live at Jeffrey Archer's house. I've got an account here of, the, of Tito uh, making a trip around some town in Devon. I'm not sure what town it is. He said one of the reasons he went to Devon was he wanted to avoid publicity. Okay. <laughs> and there <laughs> he is. Yes. Having his picture taken, wearing a very low-profile bowler hat. Yeah. Always while, a big-looking you know, Devon. comforting people See, in hospitals he, and talking yeah, to local that, youth workers. That was an honest mistake. I mean, he thought, oh, well, I'll put the bowler hat on, completely blessed. <laughs> <laughs> this is what everyone wears. In Devon, yeah, in 2008. <laughs> he was watching Mary Poppins and he yeah. took the sartorial <laughs> elegance from that. The beefy costume on at the weekend. <laughs> 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 so Tito's down there, soon to be joined by, you know, 
Jermaine, Jermajesty. Randy. The other ones that nobody can, you know, nobody would recognise. Marlon. Marlon. Yeah. Marlon. Yeah, that's all of them apart from Michael. Uh, Michael. Lorraine. No, no, no someone else, isn't it? The Janet. The six Lorraine. blokes aren't there now? The six blokes. Because one, one younger than Michael, surely. That no. Right? That was Janet. No, the author was bloke as well. Uh, I've got that completely wrong. Anyway, um, it made me think of the rich tradition of African-American music legends ending up in curious places in Europe. And my example is, I remember, 1967-68, friends of mine who were big blues fans, big jazz fans, used to buy a bottle of whiskey. This is in Yorkshire. Used to buy a bottle of whiskey and go around and knock on the door of a council house in Halifax, where the door would be opened by a woman, a middle-aged you know, Halifax woman, and they'd stand there with a bottle of whiskey and go, is Jack in? And she'd go, she'd look at the whiskey, she'd go, yeah, all right. And they'd go in and champion Jack Dupree, okay? <laughs> New Orleans barrel house piano player. Prisoner of War of the Japanese, if his life wasn't lively enough, you know what I mean. <laughs> Prize fighter, barrel highs, piano player. That'll do. Prisoner of War of the Japanese, you know, looking for a new start in life. Yeah. Marries. <laughs> looking for excitement. Looking for excitement. <laughs> pairs up with Yorkshire woman and goes to live in a council house in Halifax, which she does for 20 years. Fantastic. Wow. 20 and years. 20, the best part of. Uh, and, yeah, you know, he's well-known. You know, kind of blues fiends from all over the north of England used to beat a path to Jack's door with a bottle of scotch. Oh, and jo- Jack would play the piano in the front room, you know. Not the I normal think, uh, didn't, you know, didn't, child trying carols or whatever. I'm sure... Rumbling uh, <laughs> in New Orleans. Edwin stuff. Starr ended up uh, living in Derby, Edwin didn't he? Starr. He was living in Derby, wasn't he? Remember. Yeah, yeah. He, he lived was. in Derby yeah. for quite a while. Quite a while. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Marvin Gaye, bizarrely, had a spell in... Belgium. Ostend. That was because his manager at the time was a was a Belgian Be careful what you say now. Club owner. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, not, an ungenerous thought never entered my no, head. No, no, no. I, I think of club owners, I often think of, you know, people can, who are kind to children. Yeah. I can um, I can tell you there's one currently residing in our fair uh, green and pleasant land. Go on. Uh, Pee Wee Ellis. Oh yeah. Saxophonist yeah. to Mr. James Brown. Yeah. Who did and the Mr. horn George arrangements Winter. on Tamani Dabajabati's yeah. symmetrical orchestra? Exactly. That's what. Residing in a Froome Jewel of the West Country. Very good. Pee Wee Ellis is in Pee Wee. Froome. Why is he in Froome? I have no is idea. He, is he romantically drawn to Froome? Uh, couldn't possibly. Is it the apples? <laughs> You're big, but he, but, um, he um, regularly appears in a. Panto. Van Morrison's pickup band. Oh, yes, he does. That's right, yeah. He does. Do you know, I'd never connected this at all, but that's obviously why I did the horn arrangements on that Tamani Jabati record. Next thing we'll be finding out that, you know, Roy Ayers lives in just in a sort of tiny cottage outside of Blackpool. Do you know where Lee Perry lives? Switzerland. Switzerland. Which seems like the least Lee Perry place I can imagine. He's married to a Swiss... Heiress, isn't no. it? Lee Perry marries into the Swiss aristocracy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Which, which particular the upsetter. Make up something I won't believe. <laughs> <laughs> which, which particular item of um, white electric household goods has Lee Perry got on his garden uh, wall, on the, on, the, on the gate? You're going to have to repeat that sentence. Which, which particular white household good example of has Lee Perry got Mounted atop of his um, of the gate 
up to his property. Is it a fridge? No. Is it a Bex Bissell carpet vac? No. <laughs> washing machine? No. It is a toaster. Uh, because, of course, when people <laughs> ask him why, he says, because I am a toaster. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he used to wear a, uh, do a classic picture of him with a three-bar fire on his head, which is... Uh, it's true. <laughs> great times in the history Oh, uh, well, well, so, you know, if you find yourself living near, uh, you know, an African... Well, don't, well we, we're particularly interested in African-American, you know, music legends, because it just seems particularly incongruous <laughs> to, you know, to live... can't be in a major city. To live near Clarence <laughs> Carter or Percy Sledge yeah. or whatever. You know. yeah. <laughs> uh, do you know do let us know because uh, we'd be interested this podcast was brought to you by the word details at wordmagazine.co.uk ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.